to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org, Rush Meter Training and Consulting, and hosted by me, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia. Today, I have got the man behind the Tactical Wisdom blog, the three-volume Tactical Wisdom series, one of our advertisers for AmericanPartisan.org and, of course, Radio Contra as well. You hear about this guy a lot. I've done one interview in the past. Mr. Joe Dolio, it's great to be with you, brother. Well, it's great to be joining you from the Northern Forward Operating Base here where it's a balmy nine degrees today. Oh! Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it oh, is. It's 39 here. It's 39 here. Nine. Yep. Sure. Oh, it was 39 man. degrees. Whew. Oh. Oh. We still got snow on the ground here a little bit. Yeah, it's been uh, but 39 is just enough to make it. Here's the good news. <laughs> nine degrees. It's too cold for it to snow now, so it will be good for a couple of days. Nice. Ugh. Ugh. Man, we we only we only get that cold around here like maybe once or twice a winter and, yeah. and that's it. So man, I do not envy I, I don't envy Michigan at all. I'll tell you, we get about we get about fourteen, fifteen days like this and it'll probably go from now through the middle of February, then it'll start to warm up a little bit, but Hey, I'll just I'll just stay inside and work from the desk. <laughs> get get beside a nice uh, nice wood stove fire, man. Get that get that sucker thumping, and um, it's something about good wood heat too. You, know, you got all the other all, all the other heating sources out there, but wood just warms your soul, man. Man, I tell you, at the cabin we got a uh, we got like a late 1800s. Uh, uh, Pot belly stove, just one of them great big ones, right? And it's uh, it's old, antique, shiny metal, and boy, that sucker kicks out the heat. They don't make them like that anymore, but that is the life. Yeah, dude, it really is, man. Wow. Yeah, you you know you, you sit around that, and wood stove is a. You know, we were talking about this on uh, the last Sons of Liberty, like a wood stove. If you're talking about building a house or, you know, being a prepper or survivalist or whatever, you're building a house and, and you don't have a wood stove or at least understand the concept. What are you doing? You know, like you, you got to get on top of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because even if, even if you're just thinking of once in a while use when the power's out, you got a way to cook, you got a way to heat. Yep. I mean, seriously. 
Uh, cooking is the big thing too. Like I, I've got an entire outdoor kitchen. Mm. Um, I can, I mean, I, I can literally cook anything outdoors and, um, that's something like doing, doing that efficiently is the challenge. It's not actually like getting the food done, so to speak, like whatever it is that you're cooking, it's getting it done efficiently with an efficient use of your power source. You know, so like, how do you, how do you cook the most amount of food with the least amount of fuel, you know? And, and that's a challenge, man. That's, that's a challenge that, um, I wrote a couple of pieces many years ago called cooking like the third world where I was just basically, I was talking about like all the, the cooking techniques, like, you know, we saw in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, these, these people are used to doing without. So how do they do it? You know, I think that's one of the biggest blind spots that Americans have. Right. They think the rest of the world is like them. But go to Panama, go to West Africa, go to Af- uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. And you learn that, man, it's not so bad when they get your coffee order wrong at Starbucks. Yeah. Like, man, that's that's not a bad day. That's just an annoyance. Right. That can be fixed, man. But first world problems. I get really cracked up when I hear that, like those memes, the first world problem memes, because that's like that. That is pretty accurate, man. That was how I felt when uh, I came back to the States after my first deployment. and, And I would see people bitch and moan about who knows what. And and you're just like, that's not a big deal. Like, I'm not getting shot at or blown up right now. That is not a big deal. I got bad service at Applebee's yesterday. Bro, in (laughs) Africa, the nearest restaurant is like seven days walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you got bad service, but at least you got service. So, you know. It's just silly. But uh, talking about first world problems, man, looking over some of the headlines from today uh, and this this Ukraine situation, bro. It has been a busy day, has it not? It it has, man. It has. here's, Here's my biggest concern with this and the biggest problem is if Russia tells us that their main concern is that we're expanding and then we keep putting troops closer and closer to their border. So what they would like is for us to guarantee that NATO and Georgia don't enter NATO. How is our counter position we're going to allow the Ukraine and Georgia into NATO even faster? I, I, unless you're trying to start a war and collapse the United States, I, I can't imagine why we would do that. But that's what we did today. Yeah, it, it's... Um, and there's so many mixed messages coming out of it too, you know, because you, it, you know, I, I know that on the minds of probably the vast majority of people that listen to this podcast and, you know, most folks out there who are just looking at everything objectively, like, uh, what in the world is going on? Biden comes out today and I uh, just put a piece up over on American partisan where, um, He's basically saying we're not going to be putting troops in Ukraine. 
So I called that out on the last episode. Uh, I had Madman Actual on and and um, called that out. Said that they're going to be putting them in if if troops go into Europe more than what's already there. Because we've we've got a, a a certain number that are already there. Right. All right. That that are permanent party. But if we station more there or move more into Europe, right, they're going to go to Poland. They're not going to go to Ukraine. They're going to Poland because Poland is already a NATO ally. And that Russia's move is to fortify Belarus and to expand their hegemony in the region. That, that's what they want to do. That's what they've been seeking to do. And we're going to see a regime change in Ukraine. But this, I mean, for Biden to say that, to be giving duplicitous messages, man, I wonder who's really in charge up there. It's well, clearly not him. He's it, not the guy in charge of things. He's not running the show. He's not the boss. And and it is way more profitable for us to, to tip Ukraine into a war and then let Raytheon and McDonnell Douglas and, and Lockheed sell them all kinds of rockets and tanks and vehicles. Makes a lot of yeah. money for people. And um, you know what? It also opens us up to the cyber attacks and to all the other things. And we can say, well, we didn't. We just moved them to Poland. But but part of the argument is that we already have too many troops in Poland and we already have troops that, that, that train in Lithuania and we have air policing missions going on throughout the Baltics. Um, yep. So why would we increase that? Right. I mean, I, I, I hate to be this way because everyone everyone goes, well, you're being you're, you're 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 taking Russia's side. I'm not taking Russia's side, but I'm telling you that Russia in this particular case is not wrong. We have a history of invading countries. We have a history of expanding. They have a history of being invaded, and they haven't right. shrunk. So, um, I, I don't know. It's it's entirely possible there are no good guys in this fight, and I don't know why we want to support either side. So, no, I I agree completely, man. But it it's I've been saying this entire time that this is all a cover for Burisma. This is this is a cover for dirty dealings with Burisma. For getting a controlling stake in the oil futures, and in particular the market that's going into Europe specifically, that very, very specifically. And the thing is, is that if Russia gains control over Burisma, because you got to remember, man, when when the the first color revolution in Ukraine occurred, and they took Lukashenko out of power, he was the guy who was in power. He was the former uh, president. And then the Euromaidan uh, protests. You're talking, and you're talking about revolution. Lukashenko is in Belarus. Yeah, okay. Luka. All right. So, yeah. but the, the guy um, who was the president in Ukraine, yeah, he ended up getting re uh, removed from power. So they, they tried this in Belarus too recently, and it fell apart pretty quickly because the Russians know what the counter is. When everybody is doing this stuff, they're coordinating activities via social media alone. Yeah, this is what you end up with. Uh, and they they figured out the counter to it. They've got pretty wise to it. Yeah, um, I, but I, I could expect on that. That was really good. I mean, your 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 podcast on that. You were spot on on how they handle Kazakhstan. Oh yeah, shut, shut it down and tracked everybody down. Yep. And I think that they're getting ready to do it again in Ukraine. That there, there is going to be regime change. There is going to be uh, a Russian-friendly regime that's going to get installed quickly. 
And that is those troops that are there already in Belarus. There might be a detachment of them, a certain number of them that are invited into Ukraine as a stabilizing force for the transition of power. But and and I think that we know that. I think that I um I, I, I honestly I think the State Department knows it. I think that's why uh, Anthony Blinken was recalled back to Washington because they they know they know that the jig is up. They know that they've played pretty much every card that they have, and this this is just the breakdown of things. Now there could be some element to it that we don't know that we haven't seen yet, um, but. I look for severe ramifications to occur in Central and South America, dealing with uh, Chinese involvement there, the Russian involvement there as well. Russia already came out and said that they're planning on stationing troops in Venezuela and Cuba. And that's going to happen. I've been saying that for years, that that was their scheme. Vladimir Putin today, what I would do to expose the hypocrisy of the United States is, I would offer membership in the CSTO to Venezuela and Cuba. Yep. And watch us lose our collective minds, and he'll be like, "You just told me it was okay." Yep. I, I, I don't get. I it, look but- for him to do that too. That's uh, that that is, man, that that is that is a great point. So for everybody who's not warmed up to what the CSTO is, dive a little bit deeper into that. All right. So the CSTO is the, the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Um, and, you know, when we when we were in the Cold War and we had the big the, the, the two sides, the East and the West, they had what was called the Warsaw Pact. Right. Now, it, it originally included Poland and all of the uh, all the other countries that were essentially communist uh, versus all of the Western countries in NATO. So after the fall of the Soviet Union and Poland then became aligned with the West, they lost the whole Warsaw Pact. So the CSTO is really like like the new Warsaw Pact. It's all the former Russian republics and some of their allies all bo- uh, bonding together in a NATO-type organization. And that's exactly what was deployed to um, Kazakhstan to put an end to it, and, uh, to the uprising there. And it's also been deployed at Dagestan uh, and a couple of other places. So um, it, it's a pretty robust organization. But it's basically Russia and their friends, and NATO is us and our friends. So um, the the interesting thing about the CSTO is, unlike NATO, it doesn't have a geographic limit. So they could invite in Cuba and Venezuela. We can't exactly yep. invite in South American countries into NATO because it says uh, north of the Tropic of Cancer. So um, oh. we're really limited. They're not. Man, it's it it's another piece on the chessboard. And see, that's one. The CSTO agreement is one that hasn't I haven't seen that brought up yet. I didn't bring that up. That that was a new one on me. I, I hadn't even considered that. And so, the, man, yeah, what what a move. And, you know, you were talking about how they they brought them in in Dagestan. They brought them in in Kyrgyzstan. Well, you know. Uh, just a few years ago, when the uprising was going on in Venezuela, right when we were trying to uh, put Juan Guaido in right. and uh, replace the Maduro regime, 
which has a lot of support. They enjoy a lot of support from both Russia and China. Wagner Group was the one that showed up to really put that down, to really put that down. Um, and, you know, in, in the most recent uh, uprising that they had in Cuba, it's been alleged, and I followed that one pretty closely for a lot of reasons. You know, American Partisan, we ran our own um, counter communist operation that was going on via radio with all of that uh, Operation Cuba Libre. But it's alleged that Russia sent at least a small number of guys from Wagner Group to help. Uh, circumvent that uprising before it really found its legs. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't really allowed to flourish the way that it has in other places that are more uh, freedom of speech oriented, or at least with, with a wider proliferation of the internet, because Cuba doesn't have social media in, in a conventional sense. They don't allow that. Um, so it was a little bit easier for them to put it down in its infancy because it wasn't able to find its legs as quickly as it had in other places. But the, the CSTA, man, wow, that is, that, that is huge. That is huge. And you know, they're not bound by the same niceties that we are. Right. So oh, our forces no. always worry about human rights and rules of engagement. They don't, they'll butt stroke you to the face and get you to go back in your house. We don't do that. So um, that's why they're used, like you said, that's why they're used to put things down. And I'll tell you, you, you brought up Wagner Group, so I'm going to do it. All these videos you're seeing that say American contractors in Ukraine, they've yet to show a face. They've yet to show a full body. Um, in my analysis of the photos, it's either Wagner Group people. Well, it's definitely Wagner Group people. It's not Americans. Um, and they're most likely Chechens based on the weapons and the, and the way that the rooms are set up. It just yeah. just reminds me of the Chechen fighters we've seen in different places. Like there was okay. a, I don't know if you saw it, but there's an AR sniper rifle, AR platform sniper rifle on the wall, but it's blinged out. It's got the jewels and stuff that they put on their rifles uh, on the magwell. Americans don't do that, right? <laughs> we we no. do not bedazzle our gear. No, man, that that's textbook Haji right there. <laughs> right. That, that is a Haji move. And, uh, and, and if you've got these European looking guys, they're most likely then Chechens. Right. Because yep. uh, they use them for a lot of dirty work. They don't have a lot of uh, don't have a lot of moral compunctions that we do. So hold on. No, no they definitely don't. And, you know, we, we experienced a lot of that, you know, I know you did because you brought them up. I definitely had come across in, in my travels, some Chechens and I've, I've studied them extensively. You're talking about an entire civilization, uh, that, that went through almost two generations of war. So, you know, hard fighters too, man, hard fighters. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they're, they're embedded literally everywhere, right? Um, I think the second in command of ISIS at, for a period of time was a Chechen. I mean, they're they're uh, they're kind of everywhere. So um, that that's what those videos look like to me. And they keep saying American contractors, but they're doing things that American contractors don't do. Like right. they show them in a, in a, in a frontline trench situation. It, you know, no one from Academy or Triple Canopy is jumping in a trench and man in a post, right? Nah. That's just that's not how it works. And um, so I, I don't know. I'm not buying any of it. I think it's all a setup for a false flag. Um, 
But man, speaking of that, did you see the uh, the alert from the Homeland Security last night? You read my mind, man. It just, <laughs> I was getting ready to go in that direction. Um, this this DHS warning that was put out, and of course it was put up on uh, the Associated Press. Extremists see U.S. power grid as a target. Government report warns. So. You know, diving into this thing, the devil's always in the details, you know, when you, you get down into the meat of it. Um, and the money quotes down here at, at the bottom uh, says, you know, the report also mentioned four suspected extremists who were accused in October 2020 of a plot to damage transformers in Idaho and nearby states and the arrest in May of 20 of uh, or in May of 2020 of three alleged militia extremists tied to the anti-government boogaloo movement. Um, you know, and then they, they go on to mention this, this uh, plot from Las Vegas that was just absurd on its face. It, it was absolutely ridiculous. But this whole thing, you know, they're alleging in here that it's right-wing folks who are, who, who are doing this and I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I kind of am on the up and up of these things. It was left wing groups. It was guys from specifically John Brown Gun Club who had ties to Rozava, who got training overseas in, in the Kurdish region of, of Syria, who came back to the United States and was pulling this stuff off. It was them that were doing I'll it. I'll tell you, you know, um, I'll get some disagreement from some some of my friends on Twitter, but the vast majority of people I've encountered who who self-identify with the Boogaloo movement, not those of us who joke about it, but those who self-identify as the Boogaloo boys or whatever, are <laughs> are the vast majority of them are leftists, not right wing. Yep. And you see them at the Black Lives Matter protests. You see them in all these other places. Um, so so I don't buy that whole right wing thing. And. I think the reason why I wanted to bring it up is um, a discussion about predictive programming. So back in August and September, we had all these news stories about the vulnerability of the electrical grid. It's vulnerable to EMP. It's vulnerable to hacking. It's vulnerable to physical attack. And um, they brought up the Metcalf incident, which, in my opinion, was not a failed attack. It was actually a proof of concept. But um, when, when, when you go through that predictive programming, then all of a sudden Patriot Front starts making their appearances oh, everywhere. Yeah. And when you look at their appearances, they're highly protected by law enforcement. They engage in grossly illegal activity right in front of the police and nothing happens to them. I mean, it all yep. points in one direction. And, and I know that, that my friend Mike Shelby and I had a disagreement about it because he said he's been tracking them for years. That's true. You have, and they have been a neo-Nazi group for years, but that doesn't mean that they're not under federal control now, Right. The Proud Boys existed for a long time, and all they had to do was get their boy in charge, and it changed the direction of the whole thing. So right. then we have we have all these public appearances of Patriot Front, Patriot Front, Patriot Front, and they're shoving it in your face every single week. Now out comes right. this warning. How much you want to bet something happens, and they're going to claim, well, it was the Patriot Front. I mean, they totally set, they're setting us up for something. Um, and um, you hate to feel that way about the federal government. You really do. Uh, but they are setting us up for an incident that's going to enable them to seize a whole lot more power just to protect everybody. 
And uh, it, it's really sad to be in this position that we're in right now. You know, it is, man. But at the same time, just looking at things critically, like they, they shut down any effort at election transparency. You know, like let's let's take all the other false flag argument stuff out of the equation. Let's let's pull everything else out. Right. But they shut down. They worked so hard to shut down any effort at election transparency. Right. That That's clue number one right there. That something's up where there's smoke, there's fire. You're a, a crazy wackadoodle conspiracy theorist if you believe anything to the contrary. And th- this is this stuff has has just gone beyond absurd and it just keeps getting worse and worse. We don't have a fair and honest media. We don't have media transparency with our government. And we know that they they've done some really shady stuff. Right. And it, it keeps coming out. The levels of corruption keeps coming out and all of this stuff is exposed. And so, you know, I said it in the past. What do you do? When you have lost legitimacy, how do you regain it? How do you regain the upper hand? Because they've they've lost control of the narrative. They've lost control of literally all of their their ability, their ability to control things, their ability to keep kind of keep the the will of the American people under lock and key and, and this facade of objectivity. They've lost it all. So how do you gain that back? Yeah, you get the you get you get the side that likes you to to join up with you in a fight against the evil side, right? Um, kind of the whole rebel alliance versus the the, the stormtroopers thing. And I, I really I, I don't know. I, they're never going to regain the trust of the people, uh, at least not on our side. And here's the thing. And, and, and to the point you just made, um, this article came out today about the the Capitol police are investigating people who attend events for Republican uh, House members and Senate members uh, in their own homes and in their home states um, to look for threats. And I mean, when when you read it, it's like you said that they were going in and looking at the guest lists at fundraising dinners and investigating everyone who was there. Um, That that's police state activity, right? There's no indication of a crime in America. Our constitution is written so that we don't investigate people to look for crimes. We investigate crimes to look for people, right? We're not supposed right. to be under surveillance in general in case we commit a crime. We're placed under surveillance after we commit a crime to investigate that crime. And we have gone so far the other way around with this police state. I want to know where everyone is. I want everyone to know where they're going. I want you to carry this tracking device in your pocket. Oh, and by the way, okay. now I'm going to make you show a piece of paper that shows how willingly you complied with our orders to go and get a shot. And it's just, it's, it's getting more and more ridiculous that uh, I, I even, I put it out there. I said, Hey, listen, you live in a police state. What are you going to do about it? People have to make a yeah, decision. Exactly. Sorry. Well, you know, we're look at, you know, in, in your state of Michigan, just for, for example, prime example, you know, this, this, idiotic kidnapping plot of your governor. So your, your governor, Gretchen Whitner, super unpopular, you know, she's, you know, not a good person, but at the same time, nobody, no, nobody would have thought that, you know, all right, this is a good idea, 
right? right. And then as, as more of the facts came out in that case, you see the levels of government involvement. I think it was it was what out of the the uh, handful of the guys that were at the center of that, I think three quarters of them were were at least confidential informants. Or, the ringleader was actually a badged FBI officer. Yeah, they were there like 20 people involved. 12 of them were tied to the FBI. I think it was like four agents and eight informants. And when you read the indictment, you're like, these people kept trying to say no. And every time they said no, the federal government did something that overcame their objection. So that's not actually a plot. That is 100% entrapment. And it wouldn't have happened without the government's involvement. And how they get away with it is by saying, well, we didn't do it. John over here did. He was working for us. We don't have 100% oversight. Yes, they do. They rule your life when you're an informant for them. They rule your life. And, and seriously, so when you look at the actual people charged, they couldn't organize a coffee run, let alone a kidnapping plot, right? I mean, yeah. the alleged ringleader was homeless, living in somebody's basement. Come on, man. This was not a serious thing. But then, uh, uh, exactly as the point that you were probably about to make, um, they turned around and, and, and took it completely tyrannical. So you don't live here. You didn't hear all these announcements. The attorney general of Michigan then stated all these laws that she's going to enforce against militia groups. You can't, if you, if you wear a patch or some type of a uniform, she's going to use gang laws against you. If ah, they, see, they're doing that in uh, places like Connecticut. Yeah. Connecticut and Massachusetts. They're doing it up there, too. That's where she got the idea from. Yeah. Your 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 patch signifies gang membership. The other thing she has is there's this law from like the 1700s that says that no man shall wear any part of a army or naval uniform. Uh, so like if you were anything that's even related to a military uniform, we're going to charge you under this crime. First of all, you're never going to get some crime from the 1800s to stick because boots. No. What if I wear boots? How, how's that going to fly? Right. So I just advise For every bum in Detroit or Lansing that wears an M65 field jacket. I mean, exactly. Come on, man. And, you know, I just bought a new one, too. So whatever. Um, <laughs> oh. so those are among you know, the, true, the best though. coats yeah, ever made, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you see a dude with a with an M65 field jacket on and, and a paper bag with some he got some bum wine in there. You know? <laughs> yeah. he, he mixed champagne and ripple and got champagne. <laughs> oh yeah. So oh, yeah. He just tried but, to stay warm, man. Yeah, that's all. That's all. And you know, so she, <laughs> she announces all these. And I put it out in an article that said, Hey, listen, as you're planning your training activities, you need to think about this, right? Um, that they can come in and say, Oh, well, you're all wearing the same patch, so we're rounding you up as gang members, or we're gonna charge you for wearing X, Y, and Z. So I just tell people, if you're wearing your old military gear, take the U.S. Army or U.S. Marine Corps emblems off of it. Um, well, hold on. I don't go that far. I'll never take the Eagle Globe and Anchor off because I earned it, right? Yep. But I, I will That's take right. off the tab that says U.S. Marines, right? But I'm going to leave that Eagle, Eagle Globe and Anchor on there. It's like jump wings, right? You earned them. Yep. You can keep those on. And Seriously, it's getting ridiculous, and more and more states are doing it, and they're really pushing it that way. Um, this is what I think, and I don't want to be—I don't want to put on the, the tight tinfoil hat. We'll put on our loose one for a minute. I think that they would love something like this to happen, even if they got to cause it themselves, 
because it would enable them to say, hey, listen, we got to rewrite that 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 uh, that list of 10 amendments, that Bill of Rights, because yep. it allowed this to happen. We're going to have to modify that a little bit and uh, to take out the second, the fourth, the fifth, tighten down the first. Well, and, why not just take the First Amendment out? I mean, you, you've already got they already have so many constrictions on it. And but you, you're exactly right, man. And and when we see them making moves the way that they have of criminalizing associations with an, the opposing political party. So it doesn't matter. And I say it that way very specifically for any of the liberals that might listen to this. So let's say all of a sudden, you know, wherever it is that you're located, the Republicans get in power and they want to investigate anybody who goes to a Democrat rally. How would you how how what would you think about that? You know, how would you approach that situation? You would be you you would be justifiably angry, right? Absolutely. Because that is not a foundation of our nation. That is not what we stand for in this nation. But yet these people who have attained power by whatever means, I mean, Michigan is a lot like Georgia. It's a pretty, the, the election system there is pretty fraudulent. It's pretty questionable on its face. They waited to count uh, Detroit last in Michigan, just like they did in down in Georgia. They waited to count Atlanta last. Right. So you you had the urban areas that they knew had the least amount of oversight. They were going to count those ballots last. Right. And so then when they gain power, they're going to sit and say, well, just your affiliation with the opposite political party here is now maybe not necessarily criminalized yet, but we have the apparatus to investigate you for pre-crimes. And Which you know, is exactly that, the language that they're using there. And, and that is as Orwellian as it gets. Is they're saying that anyone who goes to a fundraising dinner for a controversial Republican should be investigated. But that violates the First Amendment. I, I have a right to petition that congressperson for for the redress of my grievances. So you're criminalizing legal activity. And, and you're absolutely right. That's where they're going to go. And what's what's sad is the left doesn't realize this. They're cheering this on right now. But just like you said, what happens when the shoe is on the other foot? You're going to be so against it that you're going to be outraged. You should be outraged when it's against your opposition. And I'll be honest, if they were treating Democrats the same way and Republicans were in power, I'd feel the exact same way. It is wrong. Right. It is it is not how we do business. If we can't win on ideas. We don't use law enforcement to win. We just right. don't. That, that's exactly what they're doing. And, and it's becoming more and more obvious, at least to me. And I've always thought this way. I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat. So, it, you know, it, it is what it is. But at the same time, though, it's becoming increasingly obvious when you have guys like uh, Dan Crenshaw out there and you know the the plethora of the other republicans that are in both the house and the senate who you know they're, they're becoming very obvious controlled opposition you know even ted cruz ted cruz you know the the perennial conservatives conservative out there you know and, and even he you know the january 6 protesters were were terrorists and then he ended up having to walk that one back 
when he saw exactly how bad of a backlash he was going to get from that in in Texas. You know, I was glad and, to see Tucker smack him down on public TV for that. Oh yeah, he's yeah, like, I don't, and, believe you. I straight up do not believe you. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and the thing is, is that with the January sixth thing, you know, going to protests is not a good idea in general. And, and that's something I've consistently said over the years. I've got a lot of flack for that. A lot of people out there. And, and you know, my answer to them has always been exactly the same. You don't go to a place if you do not, not have anything tangible that you are gaining from it. The, right. There's nothing tangible to be gained from it. I think everybody has seen exactly what was going on. You, you know, the folks that went out there walked into a trap. However, however... That being said, you know, not to beat that dead horse, that, that thing's been dead for a long time. But what I will caveat that with is, is that the people who went out there to air out a grievance had every right to do so. And they did so peacefully, save for the actions of several agents provocateur who've all been exposed. They've all been exposed. And you had guys who were um who had entered the Capitol and were released immediately from that. There is video footage of it out there. Guys who was confirmed that they went in there that were arrested, they were rolled up and they were immediately in turn released. And that video footage is out there. It is out there. So, and, 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 you know, knowing what we know, the, the false flag activities, everything else is stuff that has happened. Now we we're brought to this January 6th entrapment committee, right? This is literally a perjury trap that they're trying to get everybody that they subpoena to go up there. It's a perjury trap if you're going up there, right? Yep. And, you know, the most recent one, you know, Alex Jones, two days ago, um, somebody sent me over the clip. I don't regularly listen to, to everything out there because I don't have the time to. But that that clip that they sent over where he was talking about him going to the Capitol and, and the questions he was asked, one of the most alarming things that people need to understand coming out of that, something I've talked about a lot in the past, I've written about intelligence collection capabilities just based on your cell phone. And you brought it up earlier in the episode already, too, is, you know, when he went to the Capitol, he mentioned specifically that they had all of his text messages to specific people mm -hmm. and they had them and they were reading them off. Well, you know, we can argue about the Fourth Amendment and everything fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine, which I know you're very familiar with as well. We can argue that point all day long. It doesn't change the reality that they have that ability. They have that ability to monitor us regularly. You need to be taking your personal security a lot more seriously. Well, and and rely a lot less on signal because, you know, when you read the indictment against Stuart Rhodes, which is I'll, I'm going to be honest because I've got a little bit of personal involvement in that. Um, Stuart Rhodes, the Fed. I'm just I'm just gonna, I'm going to call it like it is. Um, yeah. They arrested him to provide him with cover. But when you read the indictment there, they they were in the chat. They, they had an informant in there. It's not that they can hack signal, but they can get access to it through informants, right? You just got to right. be careful. And uh, you don't know how many people are actually informants. There are <laughs> literally anyone could be an informant. People you know well could be informants. And uh, that's the thing. He, Stewart only let people he knew into that chat. 
and yet they had every single message that was in it. So uh, you just got to take your security a lot more personal or a lot more more seriously and stop taking your phone everywhere. Uh, like I, I was telling people that Parler was was actually a setup. And what's the first yep. piece of evidence the FBI released? Parler. Uh, yep. Logs from Parler users and where they were that day. Parler has no reason to tell the federal government where you were that day, but they did. Stop trusting these apps. Well, and they were utilizing facial recognition software, too. It, it, with Parler specifically in its first incarnation, if and, – and, you know, it, it's back now. I don't, I don't really know for how long because it's not it, – it's pretty much already been burned. But the, the original incarnation of it with the app, in order to be verified, to get your little check mark or whatever it was that they were using – because even though I don't have any social media, I do observe the things that go on with social media because I know a lot about it, what's happening on the back end of it. In order to have a verified account, and if you didn't have a verified account, specifically Parler did this, if you did not have a verified account, there were only so many followers that you were going to get. Right. You, just, right. you, you weren't going to get many. But as soon as you had your blue check mark or whatever, however it was they were doing it, same way that they do on Twitter, you get a whole bunch of followers. All of a sudden, they suggest you in, in a bunch of feeds because you have a heightened level of influence. But in order to do that, you had to have a photo ID, right? That's one level of verification. And, and... They had facial recognition software that they used as well, right? So they had two points of biometric data there on you when they do that. Gab does this too, right? Gab is doing this too. All of them are doing these types of things to one degree or another. And I'm telling you, if you're giving your data over to social media, they're going to give you up. If you think that, you know, oh, this platform's free speech. Really? Oh, okay. I think that a lot of people are going to be very unpleasantly surprised when the truth comes out about what these platforms are doing on the back end. Yeah, I tell you, there's not a single one that I would trust entirely. And it's just oh. silly. If you say, oh, come join over here, come join over there. Why? They're all just they're all just variations of the same concept, right? Now right. I Twitter for marketing because everyone's on there and, and and that's it. And I have a pretty good following and I'm I'm trying to share info and bring people to a certain level, but I would never right. trust it from a security standpoint. Right? No. No. Why? And you you nailed it, man. When when you said to to accomplish what? What exactly are you accomplishing there? There's a lot of people, and fortunately you know, those of us who are out there at the forefront of, of a lot of this are, are working to change it. But there's there's a lot of people still that are out there, man, that, that really think that you can sit at home and really make a big difference in the world. Right. If you yeah. just simply sit on social media and listen to people who tell you what you want to hear and what ends up happening for good or bad, what ends up happening at that point um, and when I say for good or bad, I mean, you know, wh whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, because, yes, I do believe that there is a good side and a bad side. Right. If Absolutely. you're pro freedom, pro liberty, 
pro-populism, pro-United States, you're on the good side of things. If you are a pro-international banker and causing problems in other co corners of the world where we don't have a problem, right, where we shouldn't be sticking our nose, if you are pro-Joe Biden, that all five of the people who are actually out there that are pro-Joe Biden, um, <laughs> you're bad. I'm sorry. Period. Full stop. You're not a good person. OK, you're not a good person. You're not you know, you, you there's something wrong and you stand for evil, period. End of discussion like that. That's a red line for me right there. But point is, though, is is that, you know, you you, you have to be engaged. And in this era, we don't know. You know, I mean, you know, catfishing, everything else. You don't know exactly who it is that you're talking to until you actually know who it is that you're talking to, until you meet those people in the flesh, until you actually break bread with them or spend a little time in the field with them or whatever, you don't really know. Right. And if they are not from your area, if they are not local in nature, then what's the point? What do you, what do you expect the, that their overall value is going to be? You know, that's, what's funny is uh, everyone assumes that every name on there is a pseudonym, right? So most of the big names I meet on there when I when I actually talk to them on the phone or meet them face to face, like, hey, well, my real name is my real name is this. So there's this right. girl who's, uh, who's, who's a follower of mine, this woman. And uh, she's like, hey, I went on Facebook and we have a mutual Facebook friend. And it was somebody from my high school. Right. I said, well, yeah, that's actually my best friend's wife. And we kind of go back and forth. And she goes, oh, well, then I must know you from high school. What's your real name? And I'm like. I'm that rare bird on the internet who is exactly who I say I am. And uh, it was just <laughs> one of those things that was incredulous that that was actually my real name, right? And you know what? Maybe, maybe I started it when, uh, when, when I was naive or whatever, but um, I've just always used my name because at the time when I first started that account, I was a martial arts instructor and I wanted my students to find me, right? right. And, uh, and, then, and then I started writing books and I'm writing them in my own name, so why not keep it? Um, but man... If I went back in time to when I first started that Twitter account, probably wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it it is what it is. But, but at the same time, I mean, there's there's also a, a lot to be said for uh, that that brutal honesty too. I mean, you know, it, it's there's there's two ways to look at it, um, but. You know, with social media, though, you, you have an, an objective and a purpose behind how you utilize it. You know, looking at it from an organizational standpoint, that's a nightmare. That's something that we weaponized overseas. That was something that we used over and over again to roll up networks of honestly really stupid people who thought that they could organize using social media alone. And it was really dumb. Um, and, and so when I see a lot of these same issues here at home, the same stuff that people are doing, the same pattern, and I see people out there who are uh, uh, will be nice and say influencers, and then you start digging a little bit deeper, you realize there's there's actually something that's you know you, you talked about predictive programming. There's actually something that's going on there. There's a bigger scheme of maneuver that I see. You know, and, and I brought this up many times. I brought it up with some of the other guests that we've had on the show. And it does look like predictive programming. So circling back to this DHS thread of, of 
you know, threats on the grid. What do you see, or at least uh, what pattern do you see emerging out of that? What What do you think that their their next move might be? I, I see their next move being a a localized but wide area outage uh, that goes on for some time, like like something on the order of the Texas power outage, right? Uh, yeah. Something like that, that goes on for a bit that they can say, oh, we caught five uh, Patriot front members doing this. We're going to get the damage repaired. But in light of this, we're going to declare an emergency. And then, you know, certain aspects of the NDAA come into play, aspects of the Defense Production Act come into play. Yep. Uh, and it's just going to enable them to just completely set aside some things. Let's not forget that during the state of emergency declared uh, after Hurricane Katrina, General Honore, that wonderful man that he is, sent troops door to door to confiscate guns that were owned legally. Right. So, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, with with absolutely no constitutional authority except for it's an emergency. He took those guns, then made people get another background check to get their own guns back after the emergency was over months later. So uh, remember, once they say that magic word emergency, COVID taught them they can do literally anything. There's nothing that allows them to place you under house arrest despite you having done nothing wrong. In fact, right. it's prohibited under the due process clause. But they did, and we all went along with it. Uh, because, like you said, we think we can tweet about it, and that will solve it. Right. There's a reason. Let me get on a soapbox for half a second here. There is a reason why they vehemently oppose the Bill of Rights, and specifically Amendment 1, Amendment 4, Amendment 5, 6, and 10, uh, because it works. The only reason why they haven't been able to just completely order you to take a certain job and you stay at home and you travel only to your job and home is because of the First Amendment, because people get out and protest and people know that they have a right to worship. They know they have a right to petition their government. The fact that if they tried it, the Second Amendment would come into play uh, and right. the Fourth and Fifth Amendments keep them from coming in your house, taking your guns and forcing you to reveal who your friends are. That Bill of Rights works. That is why they are so opposed to it. And it is quite literally the only thing standing between you and living in a communist country today. So brothers and sisters out there listening, strap on those boots, stand up and fight to preserve it because you're going to lose it if you don't. They're going to do some sort of a false flag with the power. They've, they've set the stage for months now. I mean, it's so weird. I can't believe everyone doesn't see it, right? It's so obvious and so glaring. Uh, and they're going to blame it on the right wing, and they're going to use that to usher in some sort of a temporary emergency restriction that becomes permanent. Yep. Well, I mean, look, look at two weeks to flatten the curve. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Now we're in, you know, almost into year three of this thing. Yeah. Well, we might be in year three now. You know, two and everything is literally permanent now. Everything is permanent now. Yep. It's it's not going to go away because there, there's a whole cottage industry dedicated to it. You know. I don't. Everyone keeps saying you know they're all dropping the restrictions. No, they're really not. They're just hiding them better. They're still there. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. And it, it's it's all hive mind mentality that comes out of it. You know, it's it, it's all well. You know, 
I hate to use the the, the uh, example, but because it, it's kind of a cliche, but it, it's exactly right. Uh, from idiocracy, you know, well, we use Brondo on the crops because it's what plants crave, right? That's literally what the the whole mask thing has all been. It's well, you know, we wear a mask, right? Except that. There's so many studies that are done saying that this isn't effective at all, and in many cases it's counterproductive. But yet at the same time, we've got kids uh, out in Washington State in the schools that are that are in their little pods, which is hideously destructive to them, uh, to their early childhood psychology. Um, you know, we we've got uh, schools that just keep shutting down, and and of course a lot of people are calling that out. There's a lot of people. Um, a, a lot of the parents who are getting out there that are calling this out saying, you know, it, it's just the teachers unions not wanting to work, which is what it looks like. And I mean, when, when they keep saying, oh, we don't want to go back to work because of COVID. It's like, OK, well, we're two years into this thing. Y'all just don't want to go back to work. That That's what it is. Plain and simple. Well, I said that I called that way on, early on. I said the, the teachers unions learned that they can still get paid and not have to nope. go into work and they're never going to go back to full on school. Like even here in Michigan, they changed the definition of a school being fully open. They changed full-time school to be two days in school and three days virtual. Yep. So full-time school became part-time school. They just shift the, the goalposts, you know, just, yep. uh, you know, shift, shift the goalposts. You can change the definitions. You can do whatever you want. And when you have teachers unions that are not beholden to anybody and they just want to, you know, put their edicts out there, the the union boss just gives the edict and everybody has to go along with it. That's what you end up with. Right. That's exactly what you end up with. And that's what we ended up with. Um, You know, and that parents shouldn't have input is just so ludicrous. I can't even believe they say it out loud. So. But they, they have the hubris to do so. That's the yeah. thing is it is they have the hubris to do so. And I, I'll say, man, that's been one of the I guess one of the, the biggest red pills of it all. And, and really is is just blatant for for anybody with two brain cells to put together to see this, um, that. It, the, the corruption is on display, man. The bulls are on parade. It, it, it's out there. And, and so you, you've got a lot of people who are formerly leftists, you know, that I would say, you know, they, they're on the left side of things, but they, they were more, I'd say, civil libertarian oriented, you know, just critical thinkers and, and kind of questioning the status quo. And a lot of them, and I've had several that have come to class. I've had several that have come to class. I had, uh, believe it or not, out in Washington State, I had a former psychologist from Seattle who came to class. And I mean, she she laid it all out and was like, you know, four years ago, I was a liberal. I was as liberal as they came working, you know, doing psychology work in Seattle. Right. And now it, it's the other side because I saw it for what it was. I saw it for what it was. I saw it for what it had become. I saw the people around me. I saw everything, right? And your eyes get open to that stuff. I've had other guys. I've had some uh, folks that, that have come to class that were um, 
you know, former died in the wool. And, and I mean, these were older guys. They were died in the wool, hardcore lefty guys in the late 1960s, anti-war guys into the 70s. And here they are, you know, a little bit older now coming to class, wanting to learn how to use rifles and, you know, learn a little bit about survival techniques and tactics and communications. And I had one of them tell me point blank. He told me, he said, you know, the reason that I woke up and, and I heard this story a lot, but the reason I woke up is when the hard left guys actually got power. And when they got that little bit of taste of power, Look at what they did. And that oh, yeah. should be the big red pill right there. And and I mean, it's a fact. I think that there's a lot of people out there who are wising up to all of this. They're seeing it for what it is. And they're really reexamining political positions on stuff. They're embracing populism in a really big way. And that's what's scaring the elite. That's why they have to turn to things like this. Yeah, I think that, that it's all coming to a head and they need some sort of a of a watershed moment where they can they can take power, right? And 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 keep it permanently. But the big risk for that in them is that that watershed movement can very much go the other way. Oh and, yeah. And that's kind of where we need to be ready for is to seize that moment and turn it the other direction. And you know what? I know someone's going to say, "Oh, what are you, what, what are you advocating here?" I'll say it. I say give this disclaimer every time. I do not advocate overthrowing the government of the United States. I advocate upholding the Constitution. But those yep. are two entirely different things, and one has nothing to do with the other. That's right. right? Uh, right. I, I could love the Constitution and what it stands for and not be very happy with the government of the United States. Well, and dissent. You know, what? whatever happened to dissent? Whatever happened to the right of dissent? Well, say, see, that's we've made that illegal. We've made that now that you're, you're not allowed to protest, even though right, the Constitution right. guarantees it. I'm not allowed to dissent anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And you have to toe the line. You know, you 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 have to because the mainstream media tells you to. But fortunately, fortunately, uh, we've got podcasts like this one. We have got outlets like AmericanPartisan.org, and, and free speech does still exist. And, uh, you know, finally, man, I want to give a plug to your three-book series, Tactical Wisdom, and your website, TacticalWisdom.com. I think that you were doing some outstanding work over there, your books, which uh, our last interview that we did was just incredible. And, um, and you know, I think to any of the listeners out there, if you don't have all three volumes of tactical wisdom, you need to go get these books. Okay. You need to go get these manuals right now because Joe is, is not just a constitutional Patriot, a Marine veteran and a real freedom fighter in every sense of the word, because that's all I have on radio contra is freedom fighters. In case you haven't noticed guys who are actually engaged in the fight for Liberty. But he is a Christian man as well um, and makes absolutely no compromise there. You know what? I, wa I wanted to mention that for a second. Um, I had this conversation the other night, um, actually last night while driving, uh, talking to somebody. And I said that, that we're, we're coming to this point. America was founded 
on some serious Judeo-Christian principles. And the left can tell you that it's not all they want, but it is, right? And we've drifted so far from it that, in my opinion, the reason why we're having all these problems now is that that God is pretty much sick of us. And he said, listen, I didn't, I, I didn't create this world for timid men. If you right. look at the Bible, it's full of brave warriors, actual men who stood up, fought, bled, and held that line. And he's saying, I, I need a modern day Joshua. I need a Jeremiah. I, I need I need y'all to do something to stop just the absolute degeneracy that this country is falling into. It's it's Amen. ridiculousness that's going on. And and we we're not raised to that. We're raised to greatness. We're raised to be warriors. Um this whole Christians must be peaceful thing. I don't know where anyone ever got that because they've never read the Bible. Um it, a quick reminder, the 12 apostles thought they were going to overthrow the Roman government. That's where your mind needs to be if you're a true Christian, right? They were Amen. all armed. They were all out there. They were dissidents. They were they were resisting the government mandates. They were out there doing all of these things that we should be doing. And that's what my blog's about, if y'all check it out. Um, but a few days ago, you had on my man Aiden Tate. And boy, that's another just hardcore Christian warrior. Um, I've got his right book here. Um, the Faithful Preppers Guide, um, man, that dude knows his stuff, and it, it was a great interview you guys had. So good stuff. Thanks, brother. Thanks. It, you know, it, and like I said, that's that's what we have on Radio Contra. We have freedom fighters. We have guys who are taking up the torch for liberty, who are taking up the torch for America, who are taking up the torch for Christian principles in this nation that this nation was founded upon. To get out there and make a difference in the world, have to stand against evil. And you're not going to do it. Yeah, the internet is part of it. And the internet is how you're listening to this podcast and getting the message out, sure. But localism and local activism, local practice, yes. that is how you're going to get the fight. That is how you are going to win. That is how we attain victory. And you can only do that by getting engaged with the people actually around you in your own backyard. They organized the American revolution in the church, y'all. I'm just saying. Amen, brother. Well, it has been, again, the fastest hour. Right uh, on. Man, this, <laughs> it flew by, man. It, it, wow, it flew by. But any last things that you want to say to the Radio Contra audience? Uh, hey, we're, we're beyond the, um, I'd like to start preparing phase. You need to be actively getting ready. You need to be active. Your gear needs to be on a plus 30 minute alert and you need to be getting fit. Get off that couch, start walking around, get ready. Amen, brother. Amen. Every day you should be looking at how to be better than you were yesterday. And at the end of the day today, you need to be looking at tomorrow how you're going to make yourself better than you were today. Anyway, with that said, Joe Dolio, tacticalwisdom.com. Go check it out. The link's down below for the books. Click on them. Definitely arm yourself with that knowledge. Brother, it has been an honor having you. Hey, thanks for having me on. God bless all of you, and this is NC Scout. Out.